Well, good morning, church. It's, uh, it's great to be with you. It's great to be able to come together each week as uh, we do, uh, whether that be in person or uh, you're joining us online. And we certainly don't uh, say it enough, um, but the team behind uh, everything over this past year, whether it's uh, setting up uh, cameras and speakers or tents and tables, uh, just everything that goes into uh, putting together our live uh, worship or our online bro- broadcast. The, the team continues to do uh, an outstanding job each and every week that enables us to continue to worship God and, and to remain connected together as a church. And, and uh, uh, so a, a big shout out, as they say, to those of you who, who do so much uh, each week, uh, in and out, quietly, often unnoticed, uh, behind the scenes, but you do it for the rest of us, and you do it unto the Lord, and, and we are so very grateful uh, for that. Uh, now, as we do each week, uh, we're going to turn this morning to God's Word, and specifically to uh, continue and finish the story of Jonah that we've been in for the last few weeks. And if you've been with us, uh, you will have noticed that Jonah emotionally, uh, spiritually, has been up and down and all over the place. It's been a, a little bit of a roller coaster ride over the last uh, few chapters. He's, uh, he's not quite sure how to process all that he's seeing in his life playing out before him. There's a well-known story that Jesus tells in the New Testament about the prodigal son, a story that in many ways parallels Uh, the story of Jonah. The story is about a son who runs away uh, with his father's inheritance. He squanders it, and then one day recognizes that he's made a mistake, and he turns back. He returns to his dad with the hope that he will receive forgiveness and be welcomed back once again. Well, when we read chapters 1 and 2 of Jonah, we're reading the story of a prodigal prophet who ran away from God, who, who took off in the opposite direction from the way that God told him to go, and he flees to the city of Tarshish on a boat. He ends up then being thrown into the deep of the sea where he's then swallowed by a giant fish. But in that moment and in that place, in the belly of the fish, he he turns, he, he repented, and he came back to God as a prodigal and was welcomed back and given a second chance. But the prodigal son story also tells us about an older brother as well. It tells us about an older brother who watched on as his younger brother runs away with the inheritance and returns back after squandering it. And the older brother is angry and annoyed at the fact that his younger brother is forgiven and received back. And actually, the last two chapters here in Jonah, chapters 3 and 4, you start to notice this, that Jonah changes from being a reflection of the prodigal son, if you like. You know, the prodigal prophet that's run away in rebellion, but then received, receives forgiveness from God to now a moment in which he sits like the older brother, as it were, stroppy, grumpy, watching on and thinking, well, why has this city of Nineveh received this forgiveness? Why should God be so kind and merciful and compassionate towards them? In other words, what we discover is that Jonah displays something of both of these characters, both the prodigal and the older brother. 
But in doing so, what this book teaches us is something about God's extravagant love towards people. It teaches us something about the lavish grace and compassionate heart of God. And so let's look at this together. And, and if I'm really honest, this is probably one of the strangest final chapters in any book in the whole Bible. Uh, it, it, it doesn't actually finish with the Disney ending that we might have been hoping for in Jonah. And, and we start to realize that actually maybe this book is teaching us in its final chapter what the whole story is actually all about. Is it really a book all about saving Nineveh? Or is this book actually all about saving Jonah himself? Well, let me read Jonah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He's just seen a whole city repent and turn back to God, and yet he was displeased exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is, this not, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. That's why I ran away. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade until he could see what would, what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is the word of God told you it was a strange ending of the story. Uh, you thought you were going to end with a fairy tale ending. Uh, you thought you were going to have Jonah uh, so happy and rejoicing in the fact that he's preached this message to a city that he never believed were going to turn back. As we've mentioned, the Assyrians, they were the most detestable people on the whole face of the earth. They're just evil. And Jonah preaches to them what appears by all accounts to be a pretty terrible sermon. And they respond. The whole of Nineveh, right from the king on down, everybody in Nineveh turns in repentance to God. They turn and they receive God's mercy and kindness towards them. And how does Jonah react? 
We might have expected Jonah to be elated that his five-word sermon has saved the city, making him, per word, the most successful evangelist of all time. But he wasn't. He was furious with the Lord. He sits angrily and says to God, I knew you'd be merciful. I knew you'd show kindness. I knew you'd show them forgiveness. And the Bible says that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. All of heaven rejoices over the repentant soul of one individual. And here we have a whole city of hundreds of thousands all turning to repentance to God. And Jonah has no joy whatsoever. He's just sitting there sulking, as it were. He, he just can't come to grips with the fact that God has actually decided to forgive these Assyrians instead of destroying them. Now, it's important to understand that the book of Jonah isn't set as a model or an example for us. Really, it, 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 it's more set as a mirror for us. Jonah is not the hero of this book. The, the hero of this book is, is God. The, the hero of the whole Bible is God. But in Jonah's case, it's so obvious that he couldn't be the hero because all we see him doing is stumbling around in selfishness and anger. Jonah doesn't handle it well at all, but at least he's honest. Let's give him credit for that. I mean, he doesn't put on, you know, a sort of Christian mask. You know, he doesn't pretend that all is well. I mean, Jonah would have been a terrible poker player because actually what you're trying to do is you present a poker face, which makes sure you don't show or reveal your emotions. But Jonah, he's really readily, he really readily shows his, how he felt. He shows his emotion. He shows his hands very quickly to God, revealed in his, his outburst of anger and frustration. And in doing so, he revealed a very, very big problem in his heart. And this morning I want to look at it, and I want to look at how it applies to us today by, by really asking three questions of Jonah that also relate to us. Three questions, if you like, that we could ask Jonah based upon this text, but questions, three questions that we could also ask ourselves. And the first is, is really this, are you offended by the mercy of God. Are you offended by the mercy of God? Now, that is certainly part of Jonah's problem here. He is deeply upset by God's kindness in this situation, believing with deep conviction that mercy is utterly wrong when it comes to the Ninevites. Now, he understood mercy when it, when it comes to himself. That when he was in trouble, God rescued him from the storm, rescued him from the sea, rescued him from the fish. At that time, he was aware that it was all just because of sheer mercy that he was rescued. And he knew he had no claim on God. He, he realized, I don't deserve Jack. I, I, I deserve death. If, if justice were done, I would now be passing through the digestive system of a fish. How on earth do I get to breathe another day after what I've done in re utter rebellion against God? He understood that. Somehow, though, he has gone from that position of being shocked by the mercy of God towards himself to being shocked by the mercy of God towards others. 
And instead of thinking, isn't it amazing and delightful that God is merciful to me and merciful to Nineveh, he's saying, isn't it delightful that God is merciful to me? Isn't it outrageous that God is merciful to them? Jonah, like so many people do, stumbles over the mercy of God. We rejoice when it comes to us, but forget perhaps the greatness of it to the point where we aren't able to give it to others. We're not able to be rich in mercy as God is rich in mercy. When you're rich in something, I mean, you can afford to give it out freely. You can give plenty of it away, and God is rich. He's just extravagant with mercy. But in contrast, Jonah is impoverished when it comes to to mercy. He's he's stingy and tight-fisted with it. And so so what you've got here is Jonah, he's He sees that God shows mercy to Nineveh, that he doesn't destroy them. And his immediate reaction is, I knew, I knew it. I knew you'd do this, God. This is why I didn't want to go there in the first place. Remember that whole fish thing, God? Do you know why? Do you know why I I went the wrong way? I, I, I went because I knew something like this would happen. And I think it's wrong. Yeah, I know you're a gracious God, that you're merciful, yet you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I know that, and I knew that that was what you were like, and I knew that that would happen, and guess what? I'm outraged about it. Now listen, before we just jump on Jonah, you've got to put yourself in his shoes. Jonah isn't just a neutral player in this. He had good reason to feel that he'd been wronged here. I mean, Nineveh was a wicked city. Nineveh had a reputation for ruthlessness, for brutal cruelty. They they had a well-earned reputation. From the history books, it would be fair to say that the Assyrian Empire, of which Nineveh was the heart, was a wretched regime. The way they conquered other nations was characterized by savage massacres of innocent women and children. And Jonah, perhaps, you, you could say he had a right to be angry with Nineveh. He had a, a right to think ill of them. He had a right to think that God should not be merciful to those people. I mean, after all that they've done, you know, maybe he'd even seen things himself as a prophet to the northern, uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. Maybe he's grown up hearing stories. Maybe he's even lost people to this evil regime, people that were close to him, people that were dear to him. And so when he sees these people repenting and rejoicing, and God says, I will not destroy you, and it all seems like a party in heaven, it's just too much for him because he's seen too much. You see, forgiveness is no cheap thing. Forgiveness is painful. And you can have only a cheap idea of it. You can even have a cheap idea of, of how much you've been forgiven. Actually, that, that's re- that really is Jonah's root problem. He keeps forgetting how undeserving he is, and so he, he sees everything askew. He's lost any sense of perspective. He, he's forgotten his discovery in chapter 2, verse 9, that salvation is of the Lord. Yeah, I know that, that I bring nothing to this except my deep rebellion. That's what, he knew that. that. That's what I bring to the table, God, my failures. And yet, God, 
out of just sheer grace. You give me mercy. And when you see that, when you are overwhelmed and gripped with a sense of awe at the grace of God, it really does change the whole landscape when it comes to the wrongs that have been done to you. And, and, and friends, it, 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 if it doesn't ever do that, you need to take a long, hard look at the cross again. You need to take a long, hard look at the gospel you need to meditate on the real issues of your sin and his mercy to you. There's no other way. How do you forgive the unjust? How do you forgive the wicked and the wretched and those things that gall you? And understandably so. Because some of our, some of our desires for justice, uh, the, uh, you know, it, it isn't unrighteousness. The fact that you feel that things that go on are just wrong and that someone should stop it and that someone should pay a price, that there should be punishment for such things, I don't believe that's wrong. I believe that's quite right that we feel that way. And the Bible itself would suggest so. There is, a such, there is such a thing as righteous anger. But friends, it's sometimes difficult for us to distinguish between that and our own personal need for revenge and the longing to see the other person suffer just like we did. That is a need that we succumb to so often to, to, and we sometimes carry it on for years. Um, and I know you might hear me talking about forgiveness and some of you while I'm talking about forgiveness right now are thinking, you don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. You have no idea. You have no idea what she said to me what she did to me you just don't get it it's all you know very well you preaching up there but you don't get what she did to me you don't get, know what he did to me you don't know what they said to me again and again and again you just don't understand if you just knew and you don't i know i don't and i'm not and i'm not pretending i do i know it's it's not easy i know I, I, I can't really do forgiveness without seeing the cross, without seeing that there is a place where wrongs have been dealt with, where, where without seeing in the cross a God who is relentlessly committed to justice. You see, God is fierce in his justice, no question about it. And the Bible paints a very bleak and clear picture of a day coming when God will actually deal ruthlessly and severely with evil. He will. That day will come. And listen, you need to be sure of it. You need to live and believe that because you'll face things. If you live in this world, you will, you'll face things that will cause you to question the justice of God. You'll see things and think, I mean, there can't even be a God. That it just seems to be so wicked. And if you fail to remember that the story is not over yet, you'll be out at sea. You need to remember, wait a minute, I believe in a God who says that one day he will right every wrong. He will. He will do it. He will bring justice. And you just read the book of Revelation. But that's not the only place where justice is done. 
We don't look just forward to a day. We also look back to a day where justice was done in the most shocking way because it was mixed with mercy. See, when you see the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you think of that day when the only innocent man that ever lived was treated as the most contemporary, contemptible mess on planet earth, was treated as all the idolaters and adulterers and war criminals, all the rapists, all the murderers. That's what he became for those hours on the cross. As his father said, I want nothing to do with him and allowed his full fury to fall on him so that you in all of your filth could know righteousness and forgiveness. See, when you see that, it changes the whole horizon. It makes you think, surely I can forgive. Surely I can also trust that justice will be done. Because there's a God who loves justice. He wasn't prepared to just pretend that sin didn't exist. People want a God like that, don't they? God will forgive me. I mean, that's his job. That's what we want. Listen, I so thank God that we don't have that kind of God. Actually, he's determined to do justly. But he's also determined to show mercy to many. And he's shown mercy to Jonah. But Jonah forgot all about it. He forgot the preciousness of mercy, so he was offended that God should show it to others. Friends, this morning, I don't know what you might be carrying. I don't know about the things that people have maybe done to you. And I promise you, I don't want to be cheap. The world's full of cheap preaching, but I want to show you Jesus so, so that forgiveness becomes a reality. So that you don't get caught up in bitterness that that twists you and distorts you and makes you into the kind of person we're reading about here in chapter 4 of Jonah where you can't even rejoice you can't even be happy because you're living as it were with these chains I mean Jesus told stories about uh, people who who receive mercy at, at great price from those who they were massively indebted to And then they went out and locked people up in prison over a trifling debt. And Jesus said such people, when they're found out by the the one that forgave them, they will be forever locked up in chains. And I can't think of a more graphic example of what unforgiveness will do to you. You will be in chains if you don't learn to be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Let's look at the second question to ask Jonah, but also to ask ourselves. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? You see, God asks a very penetrating question to Jonah in verse 4. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? It's a very searching question. It's also an interesting one because it implies that it is possible to do well in your anger. There are times when when you can do badly to not be angry. 
There are times when there's a, a righteous anger. There's an anger that's, that's correct. Jesus, I mean, he was angry when he confront, was confronted by things that did defame the honor of God and shut people out from God. He was righteously angry. And God says to Jonah, are you right to be angry? He's checking his anger out. He's, he's putting it under the, the microscope. Let's just look at this anger of yours. What, what kind of anger is it? Jonah says, I would rather die than see Nineveh forgiven. Take my life from me. That's the, I mean, that's an extreme reaction, isn't it? He would rather die because he's so poisoned with his bitterness. This reminds me again of the story of Les Mis which is more famous now as a, a movie and play than it is the, the book that, that Victor Hugo wrote. Uh, but there's, there's a, a character in it called Javert, and he is a, he's a policeman, and he pursues the hero, Jean Valjean, who's this ex-convict, over a trifling issue. And he wants to get him back in prison. And while Jean Valjean is on the run, this priest, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, shows him incredible mercy, and, and, and Valjean is transformed at a revelation of mercy. I mean, the, the priest could have had him uh, sent away back to prison for stealing from him, but the priest said, no, you take these, take them uh, uh, away and, and go, and he protects Jean Valjean and sends him on his way. And, and Val, Valjean spends the rest of his life transformed into a different kind of man. But Javert can't stand Valjean and thinks there's nothing true about this transformation at all. He thinks he's still a criminal, it's all fake, and he's pretending to be a good man. I know what he's really like. He's from the gutter. And Javert relentlessly pursues him. And towards the end of the story, Valjean gets into a situation where, where Javert is, is at his mercy. The policeman is now at the mercy of this ex-criminal. And the men that are with Valjean say, kill him, kill him. And Valjean says, okay, I'll take him with me and kill him. And, and he takes him on this walk and, he, and then he lets him go. And do you know what happens? Javert kills himself. Because he cannot live in a world like that. He can't bear the thought uh, that all along it was true. It was true that Valjean became a good man, a merciful man. He can't bear that thought. And so, and, and so he says, I can't go on. And he kills himself. See, Jonah's like, just like Javert. He, he, I cannot live in a world where God would be merciful like that. It, it, it just breaks up all of my preconceptions of what life should be like. And again, it's because Jonah has forgotten how forgiven he is. That's the problem. And so he's angry. He's really angry. And so God comes and plays, if you like, this game with him. God, verse 6, appointed a plant that, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So we've got this lovely plant that God has miraculously grown very quickly. And Jonah's now underneath the shade of this big plant, and he's relaxed and relieved and feeling. I, I mean, the world's all gone to pot, but at least I've got some shade. That's nice. I like that. And then God appoints a worm that attacks the plant so that it withered. When the, when the sun rose, verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. 
See, Jonah has been saying, I am angry because of a lack of justice in the world. And God's saying, well, let's just analyze your anger for a moment. Let's just get in close and look at it. He, he says, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you relief for your, from your discomfort. And then I'll take that relief away from you so that you'll be uncomfortable again. And Jonah now says, I am really angry. He asks again that he might die. It's better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. God, God's saying, Jonah, come on. Let's be honest about this righteous anger of yours. You see, we can hide bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment behind a very religious banner. Well, I don't think it's right. I don't think that's right. We can spend years doing that. I don't think it's right that they, that they do that. It's against the glory of God. But listen, Jonah doesn't give two hoots about the glory of God. He's been pretending that it's all Nineveh. Oh, it's this terrible place full of sin, evil, wickedness. Just wasted. It's against the glory of God. But God's trying to say, Jonah, you've never cared about the glory of God. You know, I, I'm not really your God. Comfort is your God. Your God is being able to have comfort in your little selfish world where no one can get in your way and you can live your life independent of anything I say. You know, you're a, you're a prophet on a nine-to-five basis. You punch in, punch out, but you don't really care what I say. You care more about this plant. And by the way, you don't really even care about the plant. You just like the plant for the comfort it gave you. You see, God has a habit of just occasionally snatching something from us just to reveal our heart. Just to show us, oh boy, that has become an idol. And surely God's trying to say to him, don't you see what your real God has been all along, Jonah? That's the whole problem. I'm not your God. Your nationhood is your God. Your sense of self-comfort, your self-constructed identity, which is built on, no on nothing to do with me, that's your God. And when that's taken away from you, you don't know how to live anymore. You, 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 don't, want, you don't want to live anymore. It's because you don't really have the right God, Jonah. Who is your God? And when we get angry, friends, that can be an index as to who our God is. It, it, it depends what makes you angry, surely. I mean, that will be revealing. Oh, that got taken away from me. I was so angry. And I'm asking you, weigh your heart. Who or what is my God? Because we're presented with this man as a mirror and God's warning us saying, look, you can go this way. You can live in that place of bitterness and immaturity or you can uh, let me change you. And that's the, the, the root of Jonah's anger. It, it's, not, it's not God's honor. It's his stubborn grip on his own life. He will not yield to God's way. And God is just so gently nudging him and saying, Jonah, you've lost perspective here. This plant and this whole city are made for my glory. 
And I'm the one whose compassion you should be watching. You're compassionate about a plant. Do you think I'm compassionate about things, Jonah? You weep over a plant. I weep over people. You care about things. What do you think I care about, Jonah? He's dealing with him about his compassion or his false compassion and showing that comfort is really his God, his real God. And ultimately, that just leads to pain and anger for Jonah. Friends, what do you get angry about? Is it the things that God is angry about? Does your anger come from God or does it come from just little brittle reactions to things that don't go your way? You know, we're just this little thing that steals our comfort, creates a reaction in us. And really it's speaking just to our pettiness and it's just very much like this guy in this chapter. So, so we need to watch. Even our irritability can just be a kind of a sign of how much we're not living in the light of God's mercy to us. But then let's look finally at the last question. Have you seen God's patience? Have you seen God's patience? And we'll close with this. See, there's no record of, of Jonah repenting in this chapter. It just ends so abruptly. You don't see Jonah here at the very end of the book saying, you're right, God, I've really, really blown it. I'm really, really sorry. I mean, you might be listening to me and thinking, how on earth does this book even work? I mean, you've got chapter one where Jonah says no to God. Chapter two where he, he gets his comeuppance, says sorry in a very big way. And in chapter three, God gives him another chance and he goes off and does well. And in chapter four, where he goes, he goes back to chapter one. So we, we begin with him being so rebellious in chapter one and so miserable in chapter four. So what's the point of this book? Jonah ends up just the very same as he was at the beginning. Well, first of all, doesn't that encourage you? Isn't that the most encouraging thing? Because listen, if you're like me, your Christian life is going to look like that, at least from time to time. Things that you think, you know, I'm, I'm still in that place I was in. I made some progress, but I kind of stepped back as well. And it feels often like you're just stepping forward and then losing ground again. You know, I really met God. He changed my heart. It was like a new man or a new woman. I was completely different. And then a year later or so, I'm like, I am hopelessly messed up. I'm just struggling with the same thing, that same problem, that same person, that same issue. And so this book is here to just encourage you that, that God is so patient. He deals so kindly with us. In fact, his kindness leads us to repentance again and again and again and again. It's surprising his patience with us. And sometimes, honestly, that's the only thing that you can cling on to from time to time. There'll be moments in your, your walk with God where the only thing that you will hold, be able to hold on to is, man, he is patient with me. He is so gracious. Again and again, he has been patient with me. And you'll just have to let that be your testimony as it was Jonah's. But I'd also want to say this. Who wrote this book? I mean, who knew, knew the whole story? 
Listen, Jonah alone knew the story, so he must have told the story to someone who wrote it, or he must have written the book himself. In other words, I think this very book is an act of repentance. I mean, nobody would tell chapter 4 about himself without being repentant about it. So I, I think this book is an act of repentance. He's saying, I was wrong, and, and this is just you know, how wrong uh, you know, uh, one can be. You know, read about it in four chapters. It's coming next week to Barnes and Nobles. He wrote all about it so that, so that, so that he would show how repentant he was. And the fact that he was able to write these words for us so that we're able to read them today, I think it shows us and, and teaches uh, us that, that something did change in Jonah that day. That, that Jonah learned something about about God, who God was, and all that God did, and, and, and that it changed him forever. So again, yes, I think when I say that Jonah is, is being put here like a mirror to us, what I mean by that is partly, yes, it's discouraging because it means that, that, that we're, looking, um, we're, we're looking really at, 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 at what we can be like if we don't live by grace, the grace of God fully. But it also ought to encourage us to no end. Because we can start to see, wait a minute, this guy, I mean, he really blew it more than once. But God was so kind to him, so gracious. He treated him so gently. In other words, chapter 4 shows us a God who is compassionate not only towards Nineveh, but towards his prophet as well. I mean, he could have justly ended Jonah, but he doesn't. He's so gracious. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions. As a father has compassion on his children, he has compassion on those who fear him. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. If Jonah got what he deserved, well, this book wouldn't, uh, have ex it wouldn't exist. He wouldn't have had time to write it. But God doesn't treat us like we deserve. And please be encouraged. And let that be an encouragement to you. And, and how could it be that, that Jonah, that God treated Jonah with kindness? Well, we know, don't we? Because he didn't treat his son with kindness. Because his son didn't receive kindness when he cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? Did anybody rescue him? Did God rush to him? When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he cried out, Let this cup pass from me. He cried out to his father, If there's any other way, if there's any, oh, any way that I can escape the cross, let this cup pass from me. Let it be taken from me. And God didn't give him a way out. You see, there was a way out for Jonah because there was no way out for Jesus. And friends, there's a way out for you today because Jesus suffered instead for you. And let me just land this morning by reading from Tim Keller's fabulous little book on, on Jonah from which I've taken the title for this series, The Prodigal Prophet. You see, maybe this, maybe this story wasn't actually all about saving Nineveh. Maybe it was all about saving Jonah himself. And this is how Tim Keller would finish. And I want to finish with these words that he wrote. God does not just accept Jonah and leave him alone. 
He does not allow Jonah to remain undisturbed in his foolish, wrongful attitudes and behavior patterns. God sends a storm, a fish, a plant. He commissions him again and again and again. And in the end, he counsels and debates with him directly. Jonah, is it good for you to be angry? Here we see God's righteousness and love working together. God is both too holy and too loving to either destroy Jonah or allow Jonah to remain as he is. And God is also too holy and too loving to allow you to remain as you are today. To be confused or angry at God is quite natural. But if we remain in that condition as Jonah did, it'll be because we do not embrace the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ alone. The gospel of which Jonah himself was a great sign. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of this book. Thank you for its power to shape our lives and change us. Uh, We've seen its power in our lives already, many of us. And Father, our prayer this morning is that it would change us in a, a way that causes us to run faster and more passionately into everything you have for us in our individual lives and for us as a church. Lord, we see our city like a Nineveh, and on its behalf, we call out to you for it. We pray that you would come to this city, and, and Lord, that there'd be lasting change. So begin with us, we pray. Come and change our hearts this morning. Not that we deserve it, but because you are a patient, merciful, compassionate, kind God. And we ask you to demonstrate those attributes among us this morning by your grace. And we ask it according to the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.